ask you this morning to remain standing for just a minute and take your Bible to James chapter number 1. James chapter number 1. And we're going to read just a few verses this morning. For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Travis Sharp. And uh, our pastor, Pastor Malcolm Carter, is uh, somewhere today, but not here, amen? I think he's um, helping uh, some of his family in some type of way and had, had a great opportunity to be a blessing to his family. And so he's taking care of some very important things, actually, is, is my understanding. And so I'm glad that I get to fill in, amen? And um, I think this is my first time to be able to preach in the brand new sanctuary, so I'm just fired up and excited. Uh, this must mean good things for me in 2016 to get to start off the first Sunday uh, preaching and preaching here, so it's exciting for me. Uh, before we read the verses, I want to uh, just tell you two things. Number one, uh, get excited now about Temple Baptist Institute. They will be, that is the, basically the Bible college that our church has begun last year and they're going to be starting up again. They've got information in the foyer right out here by uh, pretty close to Common Grounds, but Module 1 will start on January the 18th, go through March the 3rd, and let me just tell you this, I sat in on several classes last year when I was home and they had classes going on. I tried to be here and I learned a ton just in the two classes that I was in. It is great stuff, great information, but even better teachers. And so I don't know about you, but I like to be taught by somebody that knows what they're talking about. And, and, and Pastor Malcolm has put people in place to do just that. And it's really good. So if you want to learn more about the Bible or Christian ministry in general, uh, I encourage you, talk to them about that and, and, and see what you can do and if God would have you to take your education to the next level this year. And then I want to just say thank you to the church on behalf of my family and all the missionary families that the church supports because you uh, exceeded far and above in missionary support for us uh, in the last year. We thank you and, and praise God for you for, uh, for taking care of the missionaries. And so praise God. Thank each and every one of you. Brother Dustin has been a great blessing to our ministry this year. He made us a, a, a brand new video, and I go and show it in churches, and, and, and they just look at it and they say, Wow! Who made that? And I say, it's a secret. Um, but he's been a blessing. Of course, Preacher Malkin and, bro and Brother Jeff. And so thank you, Temple. Well, James chapter number 1, I want to read uh, starting in verse, um, verse 22. The Bible says, James 1, 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. You know, the Bible is really, it's the one book that stands out above all other books, the Word of God. 
You can read a, a cookbook and get great information, or you can read an encyclopedia and get great information, or you can read literature and get inspired. But when it comes to the Word of God, it says don't just read it, do it. It's the book that calls us to action. Be ye doers of the Word. Verse 23 says, For if any man be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. How many of you want to be blessed this year? Boy, I know I do. And James just told us how. Verse 26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And the word vain means empty. In other words, there's no substance. There's nothing to it. My mentor just said, useless, empty, vain. Verse 27, the last verse says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and Lord, of course, we need you this morning. I'm sure, God, that there is a just a, a, a passel load of needs here. And the good thing about your word is, is, Lord, it can meet every one of them simultaneously. So, Lord, I pray you'd speak to our heart, and I pray you'd minister to us so that we can minister unto you. And bless us this day, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat. When I look at James chapter number 1, I like to look at a chapter, if I can, when I'm, when I'm studying it in its entirety and gain the context and, and everything else around the verses in a, in a particular chapter. And as I looked into verses 1 through 8 in James chapter 1, I saw that, that he was calling us and all believers to have an unwavering faith. A faith that is stable and steadfast. In verse number 7, it said, Let not that man uh, think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the man that he was talking about is the man in verse 6 
the man that has wavering in his, in his faith. And James likens somebody whose faith is unstable to a wave on the sea that is tossed about with the wind and with the current. And so James says, let's not be like that. Let's not believe God one day and doubt him the next, but let's be firm in our Christian foundation and let's take God at his word and let's have a faith that is steady, an unwavering faith. As I look down in verses 9 through 21, I see that he calls us, secondly, to have an unspotted life. An unspotted life. For example, in verse 21, he said, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. The word superfluity uh, in the Greek, that means souped up. How you like that? Amen. It means it means it means extra or or heightened state. And so the scripture says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word. And there's a reason he says to have an unspotted life because it will save your souls. I'm afraid we're living in a time where we don't have meekness, but we have pride. And there are a lot of people who are unconcerned about the saving of their very soul. But James says, live a life with uh, unwavering faith and unspotted life, and then... In the verses that we read, 22 through 27, I believe he exhorts us to have an unselfish spirit. An unwavering faith. An unspotted life. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is living with an unselfish spirit. I praise the Lord today for a giving church. Uh, listen, a, 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 a facility like this and a missionary outreach that we have and work in the community and the, the youth that, that this church does could not have ever been accomplished without an unselfish spirit. And it will not continue without an unselfish spirit. And James tells us, that every one of us can have an unselfish spirit. And we can have that by applying the three actions that he lays out in these verses. So I want to give you three actions, three actions that we can put into action this year that will help us have an unselfish spirit. The first one is this. We must see... What God sees. We must see what God sees. In verses 22 
through 25, James just gets highly personal. How many of you know that the Bible is kind of like that? The Bible will, will uh, as one preacher said, it will read your mail. Say amen right there. But, but James says that we can see what God sees, first of all, by being honest with ourself. By being honest with ourself. I like these verses that, that are right here in verse number 23 and 24. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, this is what James says he's like. He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror or in highly polished brass, which is probably what this is referring to, where you can see a reflection of yourself. And so James says in verse 24, For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In other words, this is a picture of somebody that comes face to face with the reality of who and what they are But then they turn around and they do not change their life in light of that reality. August 1st, 1994 is one Monday that this young man will never forget. Because at uh, at Pastor Carter's house on McNeil Road in Fort Pierce, Florida, for the first time in my life, I came face to face with the Word of God and I saw myself the way God saw me. And up until that point, I was looking pretty good. I mean, I was 18 years old. They let me out of high school with a diploma. Say amen right there. I mean, I graduated, had a good job, had friends. I mean, doing everything I wanted to do. And the world was in front of me until God confronted me with the reality of my sin. And I'll never forget the day, bowing my head along with with Pastor Carter and asking God, To save my soul. I confessed my sins. I said, God, I agree with you and your word that I'm a sinner. And the penalty of that sin is death. And Jesus, I need mercy. And that's the day that my entire life changed. It was the first time ever to be honest with myself and see what God saw. So we can see what God sees by being honest with ourselves and by being compassionate with others. Let me say this. This is what God showed me when I was studying this. And this is exactly how he told it to me. He said, Travis, your sin might not be a problem to you, but it's a problem to me. I speak to people all the time and uh, who, are, who are living obvious lifestyles of rebellion to God. 
and they say, oh, preacher, I'm fine. I'm having a good time. I'm doing okay. I actually enjoy this. And I have said, it may not be a problem to you, but never forget it's a problem with God. Let me ask this question this morning. Uh, how many of you would, would, would make a declaration today to go into this new year not seeing life and self and others the way you want to see them, but seeing it the way God sees it? Amen? Wouldn't that be a great way to enter this new year? One preacher said that the definition of wisdom was simply the ability to see every situation through the eyes of God. And God knows that we need wisdom today. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7 says, Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, the disciples one day, after many hours of ministry, they tried to retreat to a private spot for some rest. But a a hungry crowd came, and the disciples saw an aggravating, hungry crowd that was really a menace to them. But Jesus saw sheep not having a shepherd. Not long after that, the disciples saw a a storm that was trying to take their very life. But Jesus saw a simple lesson that the disciples needed. There was a time in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees saw a sinful woman that they could use as a pawn in their game of trying to uh, get Jesus to contradict his own words. But when Jesus looked at the same woman, he just saw a great opportunity for forgiveness and mercy. Saul saw a little boy who needed as much armor as he could get, whether it fit him or not. But God saw a young shepherd whose heart was in tune and who was well able to slay the giant. What I'm trying to say is, in our natural state, we don't see things like God sees them. And that's why James says, don't look at yourself and go away unchanged. Look in God's word, which will reflect who and what you really are. And do what the Bible says to do. I heard yesterday that that there's several paintings of Abraham Lincoln. And some of the paintings have him with a, a mole on his face. But many of them do not. And that one time, as the story goes, a painter was painting him. And the painter continually had uh, the president to to shift. And after a while, 
The president smiled and he said, young man, just paint me, wart and all. (laughs) He knew that he was who he was and it is what it is. He said, just paint me, wart and all. Let me ask you this. Have you asked God to search you and try you? Are you looking at yourself like God does and the world like God does? Number two, if we're going to live life with an unselfish spirit, we must see what God sees. But number two, we must go where God goes. And can I tell you this? God is going in some awesome places. When Jesus was on the earth, he went to the blind, he went to the halt, H-A-L-T, he went to the maimed, he went to the thirsty, amen, he went to the hungry, he went to the hurting, he went to the lonely, he went to the sick, he went to the sinner, he went to the low, he went to the lost, he went to the rejected and the dejected. He went to those that were up and he went to those who were down. He was in the presence of kings and the presence of peasants. Jesus went some amazing places. And in verse 27... The Bible says pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit. (laughs) In other words, to go. To visit who? The fatherless and the widows. Where? In their affliction. In their affliction. How do we go where God goes? Number one, by emptying. And number two, by entering. We must empty ourself. Philippians 2, 4 says, Look not on uh, every man on his own need, but every man on the things of others. And one of the greatest verses in all the Bible is 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Do we have that verse here? 2 Corinthians 8 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. That's the gospel. Jesus left heaven where he was rich in deity, where he was rich in in everything. He came to the earth, became poor, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died, and rose again. Why? That ye through his poverty, might be rich. That's the gospel. But it's amazing to me. It's not only the gospel, it's an example. What does it mean to give? It means to empty ourselves of what God has blessed us with so that someone else can also have the same grace. Amen? We must empty and we must enter. The Bible says in verse 27 to visit the fatherless and the widows in a very special place. It doesn't say to visit them on their best day. It doesn't say visit them on Christmas, though that would be good. 
It doesn't say visit them when, 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 when at the height of their career. It doesn't, it doesn't say, it especially doesn't say visit them when they can help you back. It says visit them in their affliction. I got to observe a good example of that this year through one of our staff members in the Philippines. Her name is Genevieve. She's only 23 years old, and she works for Unsheltered International Philippines. Do you have that picture? Um, it, it's not that one. Go to the, scroll through them things there. It's the, uh, just throw another one or two up there and see if, if we can get it. Uh, not that one. That'll be for the next one. There's one more if you got it. You don't have it? Anyway, it's the, uh, I'll show you them in a minute, and it's the same family. But Genevieve was out visiting one night with our entire team on the streets. And they came across a family, a mom, a son, and several children. And this mother, her name was Herminia. And they were sleeping on a dirty, dim-lit sidewalk in an area of Bacolod City called Libertad. And, 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 and Genevieve just saw them there, and so they stopped the van, and they all got out, and they took soup and, um, and gave them a late-night meal and just began to fellowship and talk with them and, and just to try to see who, they, who these people are, why are they on the sidewalk, and, and what can we do to, to, to help them. As Genevieve was sitting there talking with this lady, the lady began to tell her that she was in great pain in her back. And Genevieve asked what was wrong, and and so the lady said, well, this is wrong. And she lifted up her shirt, and there was a sore boil that, and and I have detailed pictures, but I wanted to save you that, amen, because we're going to lunch after this or breakfast or whatever we do. But a boil about this big that protruded from her back about that far, and it was filled with pus and blood and just green stuff she had been to the doctor for this and the doctor had prescribed her antibiotics but she had no money to 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 pay for the medicine and she was on the street again for about two weeks when our team found her well Genevieve um I had already told them don't even message me and ask if you can take them to the hospital to get them treated I just told them I'll pick up cans I'll, I'll, I'll recycle, I'll do whatever we got to do to find the money to pay for it. You just get the people help when, when God gives you somebody help. So she scooped them up and, and took this lady to the hospital. She wound up sitting in the hospital for 16 hours with this lady, witnessing to her, holding her hand, helping her, entering into her affliction. 16 hours. She sat there. She paid the bill. She got the medicine. After she got out of the hospital, they went to the pharmacy and bought the medicine. And for the next several weeks, uh, every week, Genevieve would go there and help her with the the, the dressings and everything and, and get her medicine and take care. And our team began to mentor and, and, and enter into the pain and suffering of this family. And something would come a few weeks later, that none of us expected. And I'll get to that in a minute, but my point is this. Instead of passing on by, 
they stopped. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The reason we say Good Samaritan is because he was the only good one that actually stopped. It's pretty simple. The Bible says that there was a man beaten up in the ditch and he was bruised and battered and beaten and he was left by thieves and robbers and he was, he was very, hurt very bad. And the Bible says by chance a priest came by and he looked on the man. Did you get that? But he passed by on the other side. And then a Levite, so a priest and a Levite, two people looked at him. They saw him, but they didn't see him. big difference then the Samaritan comes by he does the same thing he looks but he looked with God eyes he looked how God would look and you know the story he went to him he bandaged bandaged him up he poured in oil and wine as medicine for his wounds he took him to an inn and we have the story of the good Samaritan and the reason that he's good is he saw him like God saw him, and he went where God would go. Let me ask you this. Where are you going to go in 2016? Where are you going? Will you go to your neighbor? Will you go to your coworker? Will you go to your family member? Will you go to that one that you know is lost and suffering in the sins of this life? Will you see them like God sees them? And will you go into their affliction and at least pray to God for the well-being of their soul? Let me move on to number three. The third action. Number one, see what God sees. Number two, go where God goes. But lastly, the Bible encourages us to do what God does. To do what God does. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, God's doing a lot of stuff, amen? He's blessing families. He's healing the sick. He's he's. Uh, uh, building churches. I mean, God does a lot of stuff. Matter of fact, he does it all. The Bible says that uh, in, in the book of Colossians that he created all things and that by him all things consist. In other words, not only did he create the world and those of us who are in it, but he's holding it all together. Sometimes people will, will, will call me on the phone and I'll say, man, why'd you wait so long to call me? They'll say, oh, man, I knew you'd been super busy. And, and I want to be like, well, my mom does that. And she's probably watching on the, on the internet. Mom, just call me anyway. <laughs> but, but here's what I realize and what we realize. Our time is limited. And therefore, our abilities are limited. We can only do so much. But you know what? God's doing some great things. Even though he's got the whole world in the palm of his hands, he is not limited. But there's two things that any student of the Bible will perceive that God is really doing. 
Number one, he's bringing relief. And number two, he's bringing reconciliation. You say, preacher, how can I do what God does? Well, by bringing relief. Do you know somebody who could use a hand? Do you know somebody who could use some relief? What was Jesus doing when he healed the blind man? Well, he he was bringing relief. What was he doing when he healed the woman with the issue of blood? He was bringing relief. What was he doing as he fed the 5,000? He was bringing relief. But there's something greater than relief. And that is reconciliation. You see, I believe that Jesus didn't just heal the John man or, or the blind man in John 9 for example he didn't just heal him so that he could see he healed him so that he could see Jesus <laughs> did you get that he, he didn't just heal him so he could go around and look at life he healed him so he could behold the Son of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And God does not save sinners today just so you can have a little bit easier life and insurance for when you die. No, he saved you and I to open our eyes to the big old world that needs God. He saved us to to, to do what God does. And he brings relief. And he brings reconciliation. You know, a lot of people are familiar with 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. That verse says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But now look at this one. The next verse, right past the one that most all Christians know, is verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled, that means to bring back together, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So I think that we, 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 we love verse 17 because we say, praise God, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Man, that's a New Year's verse right there, amen. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's some preaching in that verse. But there's some living in verse 18. And verse 18 says that God has given us something. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Now, don't misunderstand me or or misquote me. I can't reconcile you back to God or, or, or anybody else. And you can't reconcile someone to God. But I'm living proof that there was a human being, Malcolm Carter Sr. He was preaching on a Sunday, and I got convicted. And then he sat down with me on Monday, 
and showed me the scripture and led me in a prayer. He won me to Christ. God had given him the ministry of reconciliation. He was like the go-between, amen? He said, hey, Travis, this is Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I know you know who he is, but you know. uh, Basically, he brought us together through preaching, through praying, through soul winning, and through sharing God's word. And every one of us that are saved have that ministry. Oh, the preacher will do it. No, we will do it. Oh, the missionaries will do it. No, we will do it. I give you this story of reconciliation as I close. You have them other pictures now, brother? Um, Herminia, go to the one before that, please. Uh, That's Herminia, the lady right there. When I was over in Asia just in October... We met the family that our team had already been ministering to. That is Hermenia right there sitting in the blue top. She's the one that had that boil. Got that all took care of. But that's her 20-year-old son that I've got my hand on. His name is Ronell. And we met him, and he was very sick. Probably only weighed about... 75 or 80 pounds when that picture was taken and we, they hadn't seen them for a couple weeks and 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 this boy had gotten extremely ill extremely quick and I knelt down and had prayer and those are some of our other team members there and I knelt down and had prayer and prayed for him and I was thinking you know this boy will be all right we'll take him to the hospital and everything will be good I instructed the team, I said, tomorrow, take him to the hospital and just see what's wrong and we'll fix him up. They took him to the hospital, but the doctor just shook his head. He had all kind of masses, grow or ulcer-type masses in his stomach um, that had resulted, they thought, from a fight that he had been in on the streets. The doctor said, we'll give him some medicines and, and get him strong enough and we'll need to do some operations. So he went back home, and that basically the sidewalk is home because their house is only 10 by 12, moldy, mildewy, just unbelievable conditions that you just have to see it to believe it. It's actually better to sleep on that sidewalk for them than it is in their house. So they went home, and I flew home, and uh, during the next few weeks, the team was following up, and they had had some blood drawn. And it took about two weeks for the results to come back. And they had been to visit him in between that time, and he was getting worse and worse and worse. Well, the the same day that the blood panels came back was the same day that they took him back to see the, the surgeon about the surgery. The surgeon said he's too anemic and he's too weak. We we can't do surgery now. He has to get better before, so we just sent him home. That same day, they had went to the hospital, got these blood results, and went to another doctor to get them read. It's a little bit different of a medical system there than what we're used to here. And Genevieve went to the doctor and took these, these results, and the doctor read it and found out that he had tuberculosis. And so the doctor said, you know, 
this is good because it's treatable. We know what it is. So Genevieve was so happy. So Genevieve went to the pharmacy, got all the stuff, bought the, the, uh, the medicine. It's six months worth of medicine to treat this tuberculosis. And she was so happy that hopefully getting this in the system, he would start to improve and he would in several weeks be ready for the surgery. She got to his house only to find out that he had died the day before. And so he actually represents the first person in our ministry that, that was a subject of our ministry that actually died on the street. And it blew me away when they told me because I thought there's no way the doctor would send him home if he was that bad. Thankfully, and I was shattered when I heard that, but thankfully, the pastor that we partner with, Pastor Antonio, he had the insight to to understand just how severe this was. And he messaged one of the other pastors that works with us, because Antonio is in the States now, he messaged him and said, listen, do whatever you have to do to get to Herminia and Ronell and share with them the gospel again. They'd already been sharing the gospel with Herminia and she had not been saved. So, thankfully, do you have the other picture now with, with the, the man in there? This other picture is the day before he died. That is Pastor Ricky who works with us. And he went into the little shack where they live. They had to move him in there even though the conditions were bad. And as his mother held his head in her lap, he shared the gospel one more time. And both he and his mother Herminia received Christ as their Savior. One day... Genevieve never thought when she entered into the affliction, just going where God would go one day, that several weeks later, the son of the woman she was helping would slip out into eternity. And listen, it's very sad that he suffered and died in those conditions. But can you imagine what happened when that young man who's never known nothing except life on the street and poverty. Can you imagine what happened when he closed his eyes in death? <laughs> Listen, maybe he felt out of place, I don't know. But I think his Savior ushered him right on in, and he felt right at home. What would have happened? What would have happened? If the pastor hadn't said, go do what God does, reconcile, reconcile. Let me ask you this. In 2016, are you going to see what God sees? Will you go where God goes? Will you do what God does? It's going to look different for all of us. For me, it's on that mission field. 
but you have a mission field. This church has a mission field. And it's up to us to fulfill the mission God's given us. Amen? Let's all stand together, if you will. We'll have the musicians come. And here's the invitation. I'm going to invite everybody that will to find a place around the altar. Listen, there's really no reason not to spend the first Lord's Day of the new year in prayer. Amen? Let's find a place around the altar or at your seat if you need to where we can bow our heads and make a commitment to God to see things like He sees them. The other day, I passed by on the interstate and Carla and somebody else were praying. They literally had their heads bowed praying with the homeless man on the interstate. Why? They saw him. Maybe somebody wants to come this morning and say, God, give me those eyes. Help me to see. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you come this morning? Father, we love you so much. Thank you for the goodness of God. I pray, Lord, today that you would draw people unto yourself. Help me, Lord, and forgive me where I have failed to see, where I failed to go and failed to do. Lord, I pray that this year would be better. This year would be new. I pray you'd work in a great way. Now touch your people this morning, God, and do those things that please you. This morning, they're fixing the saying in a minute, and people are praying, several are praying. Maybe you're here this morning, and you would say, Preacher, I've been seeing myself like God does here lately, and I know that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. If I died today, I'm not even sure heaven would be my home. Do you know what? God's waiting 